If you have your scriptures uh, this morning, I am going to be reading out of the Old Testament, perhaps a familiar passage, perhaps not too familiar for some of you. And uh, we are uh, continuing what we call our stewardship season. I have a problem with stewardship seasons because they are so artificial. They are so like, uh, you know, it's not, I don't see anywhere in the Bible where we have to have a stewardship season. But obviously we live in this planet and we've organized ourselves in such a way that it's okay to do but why do we do it? I mean, why do we even have to stop and, 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 yes, teach about the Word of God, but this specific thing for just three or four Sundays, you know, or one or two Sundays a year, and why do we have to have the cards, and why do we have to have all that happening? Why do we do all of that? I've been wondering if, 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 uh, if larger churches who have a lot of people actually do this or not. Well, to be honest with you, I did find out that the megachurches, they actually do it more than once a year. They actually have a stewardship message every month. And every month they do make a, a, an appeal for people to increase their giving because um, their giving is not as planned or organized as we hyper-organizational Presbyterians tend to be, which is okay and good. So... Why are we doing all this that we're doing? Well, let, let, let's get some ideas clear. And, and today I basically want to deal with two questions. Why is it that we give? And how is it that we should give? And then next week we'll deal with two other questions about giving. And, and typically these two Sundays will probably be, be the lowest ones in attendance. But uh, we're still going to get you at home. Because we're, we did a little letter thing to send you guys. So, and it's so funny that the, the individuals, I, I'm looking at Nancy Patrick laughing because uh, she just became a member last week. And the first piece of communication that she getting, <laughs> and I think I wrote it in, you know, you guys just became a member and this is your first piece of communication. You got hit right away <laughs> because of the season in which we're at. Okay. But let's look to the word of God. And as, as we look for in the Old Testament, the book of Malachi Actually, I thought this was an Italian uh, prophet, Malachi. But no, it's actually Malachi. It's not Malachi. So. In Malachi chapter 3, verses 6 through 12, the word of God reads as follows. I am the Lord, and I do not change. That is why you descendants of Jacob are not already destroyed. Ever since the days of our ancestors, you have scorned my decrees and failed to obey them. Now return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord God of heaven's army. But you ask, how can we return when we have never gone away? Should people cheat God? Yet you have cheated me. But you ask. What do you mean? When did we ever cheat you? You have cheated me in the tithes and offerings due to me. You are under a curse for your whole nation has, has been cheating me. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse so that there will be enough food in my temple. If you do so, says the Lord of heaven's armies, 
I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great that you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. Your crops will be abundant, for I will guard them from insects and disease. Your grapes will not fall from the vine before they are ripe, says the Lord of heaven's armies. All nations will call you blessed, for your land will be such a delight, says the Lord of heaven's armies. This is the word of the Lord. I'll read the second Corinthian passage in a few moments, but this is interesting in Malachi because Malachi, if you want to, uh, how many of you have actually sat down to read this prophet? How many of you have actually done that? Ooh, more than what I thought. It's interesting that uh, the, 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 the whole book is actually a, a conversation between God and, and God's people. And it is framed and it is organized in such a way that it deals with seven questions that God addresses the people, seven conversations. And the first conversation is in chapter 1, verse 2 says, In what way have you loved us, say the people? Notice the tone of voice. In what way have you loved us? The second complaint or the second discussion, argument, conversation that the people have with God and God have with the people is, In what ways have we despised your name? Hmm. In what ways, is the third one, have we defiled your name? In what ways have we been unfaithful to you, O God? And in what ways, and why, in what ways shall we return to you? And in what ways have we robbed you? And in what ways have, you spoken against, have we spoken against you? It's like if they're good boys and girls. It's like they have the audacity to stand before the God who describes himself four times in just the passage that I read as the Lord of heaven's armies. They have the audacity to question if they have done any of this to God. And, and if you want to know the answer as well, obviously, read the, the book because it is fascinating because every argument, uh, uh, like you're, in my experience, I, I'm assuming that in every argument that we begin with God, guess who wins? Yeah, God wins. And the thing is that when God wins, we both win. We just have to figure that out. Okay. Now, the passage in Corinthians, Paul actually takes this idea of, of agriculture, because they are in, in, in an agricultural society. And Paul, in Second Corinthians, is making an appeal to the churches that he had actually helped and established, because there was a famine that was taking place in Jerusalem, and, and Paul is collecting an offering and, and trying to make it a significant and meaningful offering to be able to help the saints in Palestine, in Judea, who are experiencing a bad, bad famine. So this is the context in which Paul is asking contributions, financial contributions, from the Corinths in his third letter of Corinthians. Is there an issue? It says 2 Corinthians there, but this is actually the third letter. Because 2 Corinthians is actually lost. 
We never got it. He tells us when he wrote the first one, in this one, he says in the letter that I wrote you, he says things that are not in the first one. So there's a second letter that we, we just don't know where it's at. So yeah, technically this is 2 Corinthians because it's the second one that we have, but in, in actuality this is 3 Corinthians. But let's read it as 2 Corinthians. It is 2 Corinthians. Chapter 9, verses 6 to 12. Listen to and for the word of God. Remember this. A farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop. But the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. And you must decide, uh, each of you must decide in your own heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. And God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. As the scriptures say, uh, they share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. And then, and, and when you take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. So two good things will result from this ministry of giving. The needs of the believers in Jerusalem will be met and they will joyfully express their thanks to God. Word of the Lord. When Jesus was hanging out with his disciples, in several occasions the disciples actually asked Jesus, Lord, can you increase our faith? Lord, can you make our faith bigger and better? Can you increase our faith? And for Jesus... Faith building was, was not complicated at all. For Jesus to increase in faith was not difficult at all in any way, shape, or form. Because for Jesus to grow in faith, when they asked him that question, to grow in faith, he basically said, listen, if you guys would have a seed, the size of the mustard seed, see if you can handle that. Can you handle it? Is it too heavy? Can you see it is the question. Can you see this seed? If you just have this much faith, if you just have that much faith, here, Gabby, if you just have this much faith, look at this, May. There's only one, May. Look at that. Can you see it? If you just have that much faith, you can speak to the mountains and they will move. So for Jesus, faith was as simple as having a mustard seed. Faith as the size of the mustard seed. For Jesus, having faith was as simple as, as speaking to a mountain. Now, uh, are we talking about Lookout Mountain or are we talking about Lost Mountain that we never find? I was visiting somebody in the hospital and I was able to see all the mountains. I couldn't figure out which one was which. But I gave them names. <laughs> no, I know which, was, which one was Kennesaw. It was very pronounced. But, but it was to speak to problems, to speak to issues, to deal with them in faith and with faith. So growing in faith requires you to what? 
to have faith. So also to, to, to speak to the mouth, to face it. And, and it's a simple, for Jesus it was growing in faith, was simple, was very simple. As to walk on water. Right? How many of you have walked on water? I have. It's been frozen. <laughs> but I have. It was this thick frozen, I hope. You know. But yeah, it was as simple as walking on water. Do you think that's simple? If you look at all three, at all three activities, requires action. So faith is not information. Your faith does not grow because you know more things. You see, last century, uh, uh, in our Christianity environment, particularly in our Presbyterian church, we believed and we thought that the more information we gave to people, the better disciples they would become. Eh, it didn't happen. So now we found out that giving information alone does not create good disciples in any way, shape, or form. You know what it creates? A whole bunch of people with a whole bunch of good and holy information who are just rotting in pews. I'm not talking about us. Well, you don't laugh. I want to stay now. <laughs> okay? But that's what it is. It requires action. It requires movement. For Peter to believe that the person who he first thought was a ghost, for Peter to believe for that first person that he saw walking on waters who he thought was a ghost and spoke to the mountain, spoke to the ghost, tell me, if you are Jesus, tell me to go on. And guess what Jesus said? Come. Now he's got an issue. He spoke to the mountain, and the mountain said, come. But this is a fisherman who's, uh, who knows uh, the, the treasures, uh, the, the, how dangerous and treacherous the, the, the sea can be. And there was a storm going on. So he's not being invited to go into a nice, pleasant Caribbean ocean kind of scene, right? No. He's been asked to go into a fearful, fierce Storm where the, where the waves are picking up and they're coming above his heads and they're crashing down and he's been asked to step out of the boat. To grow in faith is simple. It's very simple. Just got to step out of the boat. And you know why he was able to step out of the boat? Because he knew who called his name. He recognized that voice. Oh, he knew who, where that voice was coming from. Come. That's all he heard. You see, for Jesus, it was very simple to grow in faith. It was not information. It was not knowledge. It was what you did with that knowledge. That's faith. What you do with information. How do you carry that information around? How does it become wisdom? How does it become life? How does it transform your life and the life of those around you? That is growing in faith for Jesus. Not accumulation of information which just makes you fat. And that's it. You just know a lot. You see, it was simple for Jesus because Jesus had information Jesus knew who he was, the Son of God. Jesus knew the power that he had. And Jesus was aware of his mission. 
And because he knew, he acted, he lived, he healed, he changed people's lives, and he spoke words that upset the religious. I love that part. By the way, if you look at our, at our narthex, at the entry to our church, uh, Loida and I are guilty for placing all the curse words that are hanging from our ceiling. Curse words such as transformation. Curse words such as renewal. Curse words such as change. Curse words, oh, those are not curse words here any longer. I see your smiles. They lost their power. Because now we're used to it. But growing in faith is basically dwelling with Jesus, walking with Jesus, not knowing about Jesus, but knowing Jesus intimately. Look how Paul calls it in in Colossians. He says, let your roots grow down into him. Let your roots, our spiritual roots, Grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. He's talking about Jesus. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught. And you will overflow with thankfulness. Again, that theme. Overflowing with thankfulness. For Jesus, it was simple. Now, let us look very briefly if faith growing is actually a principle of, of, in Scripture. Let's look at it alongside finance giving and giving to God. Why do we give? Why do we even have the ability of giving? Why do we even give? Well, it depends how you look at giving. How many of you Look at giving as something that you're going to lose as you give. Liars. (laughs) Come on. How many of you grew up thinking that giving was not good? Because you were losing it. You were not going to get it back. Now we're getting there. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I think it was the way the question was asked, right? Thank you. There, there you go. There you go. This has been recorded. <laughs> so, so, so there is a, a tendency to think that when we give something, we're losing it, right? There's also a tendency that it's easy to give because it's extra. We don't need it, so we give it. But is that what God and is talking about when Jesus? Who walked, when he walked this earth, the number one topic in which he spoke, and we mentioned this last week, was not salvation, was not hell, was not growing, was not dying. It was basically money because I understand that in Jesus' time, his biggest competitor, the biggest idol that was competing for God was money and the love of money and our dependency on money and our trustworthiness of money. Uh, did I just jump from the first century to the 21st without knowing? You see, because giving from God's kingdom, and this is the difference between thinking in God's kingdom and thinking in our ways. When we give in our world, we lose. When we give in our world, we only give. We know we're going to get something back. What's in it for me? The wimp philosophy. But in the kingdom of God, we give. We give without expecting. Because Jesus even said it is better to give than to receive. Have you heard that before? Giving as a spiritual discipline. What? 
Now he's going to get monastic, holy, and mystical with us. Yeah, well, you see, giving as a spiritual discipline was actually began by these monastic groups. They took the hymn that was actually written many centuries ahead of them, which said, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Oh, no. Jesus gave it all, all to him I heartily owe. They took that for serious. And these individuals basically gave it all. One of them did it in such a dramatic and kind of ridiculous way that kind of became famous. His name was Francis from the town of Assisi in Italy. You know who I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. He did a show in a church one day. He was from a very ritzy family. He was noble. And Francis was sick and tired of when he walked into the church of Assisi, he would walk in from the back of that beautiful cathedral and he would see the poor people standing along the sides. The poor people standing along the sides. And he would notice the nobles and the merchant class and everybody else who had money was sitting comfortably in pews with warm blankets, like a lot of hope. And he was disgusted with what he saw. And he fought with it. And he, fought, and he wasn't get, making any ways. And those of you who have seen the famous movie, um, Father, Son, and Sister Moon, you will see the scene when he decides to give it all. Because he really understood that in order for him to be a good disciple of Jesus Christ, Jesus gave it all for him. So he gave it all. And Francis was a little bit scandalous about how he gave it all because he literally took all of his clothes off in the church and walked out as he came into this world. He gave it all away. So giving as a spiritual disciplines is an activity that facilitates our relationship with God, that brings us closer to God, that teaches us how to break away from the idolatry of our own self-production. How to break away from our self-idolatry that I can make this money. How to break away from our own self-idolatry that in my own strength I've been able to. Breaking away from that mentality, detaching from our dependency unto ourselves, and attaching our dependency on God. Because every good gift comes from God. And as we learned last month that we are people of grace, thus we respond in gratitude. Paul calls it giving ourselves as a living sacrifice. So how should we then give? We should give cheerfully, gladly, because we are a blessing and we are being blessed. We should give consistently, frequently, often, as many times as we can, spontaneously, even though as we planned, we can also give spontaneously. We can give generously, abundantly, wholeheartedly our very best. And we can give meaningfully something that is significant. Some, in some circles, they call it sacrificial giving. Something that means something between you and God. Give, and it shall be given unto you. Give your gift. Your gift will return to you in full. Pressed down, shaken together to make room for more. Running over, poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. That was Jesus in Luke. That was Jesus in Luke. 
and we give because God gave us his son. We give in gratitude and we give in thanksgiving. The Italian prophet Malachi, I'm sorry, the Jewish prophet Malachi, heard it this way from God. Try it. Try it. Faith requires action. Try it. This is the only place in all of Scripture that God actually says, put me to the test. Amen.